I believe that the word of God is life-giving and life-transforming as the spirit of God dwells in us and engages with us in the word. And so because that's true, today I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read through Romans chapter 8. I'll read through verse 18 through 27. And if, uh, if you would follow along as we uh, look at the word of God together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope... For what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray, uh, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And, we who, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Almighty God, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you, and we ask, Almighty God, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up, that you would uh, transform even today. And Lord, as we look at a, uh, a, some tough words, some words that actually might, might cause some panic in our own hearts, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and comfort that you would come and reveal your way and your will, that we would be able to follow you and glorify you in all of these things. And it's in your son's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we read through that passage, there are two terms that we really need to to get a grip on, to, to hold on to and to understand because often we'll divide these two terms, but as it relates to this passage and even as it relates to our salvation, they are interconnected in some unique and dynamic ways. And so to divide them, to set them apart uh, would not be right. And we're going to walk through that together. So with that in mind, uh, let's talk about these terms, suffering and glory. And let's start with the term glory. Glory is an abstract term. It's hard to get our head around it. In many ways, glory is kind of a feeling for us, like, oh, that, was, that, that just brought a lot of glory. That was wonderful. It, it's almost a feeling. But it's more than that from the scriptures. Actually, the root of the term means weight. 
And so you think, well, wait a minute, glory is weight, so is it like the heavier I am than the more glory I give to God? That's not quite it. It's a little bit different, but it is uniquely connected in this respect. So glory is connected to weight, and in ancient days, you would bring gold or silver, uh, and when you brought that gold or silver, especially to a tax collector, they had a scale. And this scale was a weight system. So you would put your gold on this weight system and they would measure that. They would put weight on it to see how valuable it is. So glory has to do with value or ultimate value, you might say. So glory is very specific and it is a value, the ultimate value, the total value, if you will. But this idea of glory is connected to the term suffering. And so let's talk for a moment what suffering is. Suffering can be, at least the way that the word is used in ancient days, has kind of a spectrum of meaning, if you will. And it can mean anything from a cold, a flu, uh, to, um, uh, to something uh, very physical, like suffering, uh, pain, um, jail time, torture, like it could mean any of that kind of thing to suffer. It could be health, so physical, mental, emotional, spiritual suffering is kind of in that whole realm of things. As it relates to the scriptures though, it has some specific meaning. In other words, most often the way that it's used in the Bible has to do with our faith. So in other words, I'm suffering for my faith. Because I've trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then there, there, there is suffering associated with it. So for some, it was that they couldn't get jobs. For others, it was that they were ostracized from communities. For others, they were beaten and abused, tortured, and at times even killed because of their faith. That is this large spectrum of suffering and what it means. I, if, if you have your Bibles, you can turn here uh, really quickly. Uh, it's First Peter, First Peter chapter one, and verse seven really kind of gives the idea of uh, what we're talking about. In ancient days, when you would have some gold, you would take it to a smith, and the smith would. Uh, would put this gold in a crucible and it would he- they would heat it up. They would heat it up to extreme heats so that the impurities would rise to the top and they were able to kind of shave those impurities off of it. That's the picture that you're going to see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there is this picture for the believer that there will be suffering. This fire will uh, come onto the believer's life and that the, the dross, the impurities will be swept away and that this life will be even more valuable because of the fire that it's gone through, the suffering that it's endured. And so this idea of suffering, and especially First Peter, uh, really leans into the fact that as a believer, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be suffering. 
as a believer, that suffering is also connected to glory and specifically to God's glory, the ultimate value of God lived out through us and in us. In the West, I would say that we try to lean away from suffering. Uh, I know I do. I don't particularly like to suffer. As soon as my house gets to be about 75, 76, AC's on, oh man, it's uncomfortable in my house. I don't want, I don't want to be uncomfortable for Pete's sake. Maybe you feel that way too. It's a general truth in the West that we lean away from suffering. But we experience suffering in a variety of ways, even as I've identified this large spectrum uh, of ways that we can be affected by suffering. And so because that's true, we're going to lean into it, and we're going to talk about it first from a biblical perspective before we jump into this passage. So let's talk about what suffering is. So first of all, suffering can be worshipful. Suffering can be worshipful. You know, uh, this, is a, this is a truth that, again, we overlook a lot. In the midst of suffering, there is an opportunity to worship, to be real before God. In fact, the reality that we cry out to God, even if we feel like God is being absent, absent in our suffering, identifies the truth that we have a relationship with him, that we're trying to understand the situation in relationship to him. And so this is called a lament. We see him all the time in the Psalms. I'll highlight just a few, uh, a few laments from the Psalms. Psalm 6.3 says it this way, and my soul is greatly horrified, but, but you, Lord, how long? Like, how long are you going to allow me to be horrified is the, the context of this passage. Psalm 10.1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The psalmist is saying that in the, in the midst of my suffering, it feels like, it seems like, it appears to be the case that you are not with me, O God. This is a lament, and it's made its way in uh, to the holy writ of scriptures. There is a place for lamenting. Psalm 38, 9 through 11 says it this way. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and, my, and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. This is just the reality of where the psalmist is in their life and the lament of their spirit to call out worshipfully to God. Psalm 42, 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The psalmist feels like they're drowning in life. The world has gotten away from them and they're drowning. And it's a lament a way to offer worship to the Lord. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I have cried to you, Lord. And in my, in my place of wound, in my hurt, I cry out to you. Jesus himself on the cross says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. Later on in that psalm says, Yet... You dwell in the praise of Israel, O oh God. There is a reality that suffering can give an opportunity for worship. And even in those places where we're questioning God, 
even God's presence in the situation, God doesn't go, uh-oh, Kenny's questioning. I don't know what I'm going to do. No, it seems that God is drawn in in those places, as you'll see in just a moment. Not just that suffering can be worshipful, but also suffering can mean fellowship with Christ. When Paul is talking about the extreme joys of following Jesus he, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he also identifies that a part of the joys of following Jesus is sharing in the suffering of Christ. Another phrase that is translated from that same passage is fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. We get the opportunity uh, to know Christ uniquely in those places. In those places where uh, we are experiencing suffering, we can go to the one who suffered, to the God who came in the flesh, to the God who lived perfectly in the flesh among us, to the God who suffered because of my sin and because of your sin, to the God who was willing to go to the cross because of that very sin, we can fellowship in his suffering. As we suffer, we look at the one who suffered and we walk with him in those places in a way that we can't when everything's going great in our lives. When everything is easy, we get to know Christ and his sufferings uniquely in those places. Not just that, but also suffering can be a sacrifice. We don't bring animals to sacrifice to God. And certainly we don't need to because Jesus is our ultimate sacrifice. Yet, we have the opportunity to take our suffering before God uniquely. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says it like this. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In other words, God receives that. This suffering that we have can be an offering to God. When something happens to us that isn't fair, that's not what we earned, it's not what we, <laughs> it wasn't our goal, just situationally something bad has occurred in our lives and we suffer. We offer that to the Lord as a sacrifice. And here we see that that he, uh, he welcomes it. It is something gracious in the sight of the Lord. Not just that, but suffering can be a way that we imitate and follow Christ. A way that we imitate or follow Christ. And 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 21 goes on to say it this way, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So that you might follow in his steps. Did you get that? What are his steps? Well, we see Jesus going to the cross, for one. As Jesus, just before Jesus goes to the cross, there's this prayer that he prays, and it's, it's somewhat perplexing in that he asks the Father to take this cup from him, and then he says this, yet not my will, but your will be done. And we come to those places in life where we can imitate Christ and follow him uniquely in these places of suffering. No matter what that spectrum is, as we take that suffering and offer it to the Lord, God does something beautifully and, 
and powerful in our lives and in the lives of others. I heard a, a story from one of my friends who talked about a man that he walked with during his time of cancer. While he was suffering cancer, this terrible sentence, at the end of his life as he was hospitalized, he was gracious. As the doctors and nurses came in, he would say things like, how can I pray for you? And the idea was that he was, though, though he was going to most likely die, uh, because of cancer, he wasn't going to let cancer kill his soul. And he would say things like, how can I pray for you? Or, hey, I was thinking of you, and I, I just wanted you to know that, that God loves you. And, and sometimes they would focus on him, and they would say, you know, I'm so sorry you're going through this. And he would just simply say, I'm going to see my Savior soon, and it's okay. This was a way uh, that he was able to take his suffering and offer it to the Lord because of the gospel that he had received, the gospel that we're sinners and need a savior, the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he conquered sin and death, that he rose from the grave and he gives life to anybody who would call on him and he's coming again. And the reality is that that glory that comes with the gospel, there is also suffering that comes in that place. And perhaps some of that suffering is that God wants to do some work within us, that he's trying to get uh, those impurities out of our life that we're becoming even more valuable as we prepare to graduate into eternity. Certainly, there is meaning and purpose in the suffering. And the gospel helps to color that. I say that because I, I would also say if we divide these two terms, suffering and glory, and we lean away from suffering and we just want glory, we very easily can walk in some heresy. And I'm going to identify three of those current heresies today. One of those is called the prosperity gospel. Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. You want it, you tell God and God has to give it to you. It's the prosperity gospel. It happens in a few ways. It happens in terms of health and wealth. And the prosperity gospel leads us into dividing suffering and glory. It is absolutely true that we have victory in Christ. It is absolutely true that we are citizens of heaven and that we have the riches of Christ Jesus. Absolutely. But when we divide suffering and glory problem occurs, and the prosperity gospel becomes something that we can very easily receive. I have this authority in Christ's name, and I'm suffering, and I don't particularly like suffering, and Jesus died that I don't have to suffer, because why would I have to suffer? Jesus took that on the cross for me, and before we know it, we've gone off the path, and we've gone to this mentality that sometimes creeps into our theology well before we realize it, before we can can verbalize it, and it becomes the prosperity gospel. God, I want this. I need this. I claim this authority, and you will deliver. It's a dangerous place to be, and it takes us off of our path. It is different than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second, it's called the social gospel. If the prosperity gospel focuses on me, the social gospel takes it out, and it, it actually feels really good. Because we see injustices that we want to fix. And by the way, if there are injustices that we can fix, we should. But I want to say, it can't be out of the umbrella 
of what Christ is doing and Christ's authority. If we're not pointing back to Jesus, we're missing the entire point. The social gospel tells us that the ends justify the means, that if we fight for it, any means justifies the end, any means. And we have to be so careful because that takes the suffering component out of it, that perhaps there is a place where suffering allows for God to do a work and we have to be under that umbrella. Again, it's not that we just accept injustices in our world. That's not what I'm saying. But in its extreme, it takes us away from Christ, and we have to be careful. The third gospel that we have to be careful of, and I'm going to say this very cautiously, because in the evangelical world, which Friendship Church would be under that umbrella, uh, I would say this has crept in very subtly and has dominated our theologies in the evangelical world. And that's the Gnostic gospel. It's what I know. What I know saves me. It's the information that I have. And what I know that saves me is this. I said a prayer one time and nothing ever changed. The Gnostic gospel is about information. It's not about a relationship. Am I saying that we are supposed to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord? Yes, absolutely, we should. But what I am saying is it's not about just knowledge. Scripture tells us that the demons believe there is one God and shudder. But they're not saved. So this Gnostic gospel, this idea that if I just say a prayer, I'm saved. I'm good. I did what I needed to do. Now forget it. Uh, that's heresy. And it takes us off course. But it's that very issue of dividing suffering and glory that takes us down that path of the Gnostic gospel. Well, I have some security because I know this. Well, we can know it and it not ever change our lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ identifies suffering as something that is holy, something that God can use for his glory. It's not that we have to go looking for it. In fact, we don't have to go look for it. We'll find it. It'll happen. It's going to happen. What will we do with it? But this gospel of Jesus Christ is very clear. We are all sinners. And we are in desperate need of a Savior. And God came in the flesh. He died on the cross for our sins. He conquered sin and death. And he has given us his Holy Spirit for all who receive him, who call on him and live that out. And he's coming again. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It identifies the holiness of suffering. And it recognizes that God is going to deal with things justly. That is exactly what the God of heaven will do. Knowledge is good, but life is what matters. And we see that in the gospel of Jesus Christ uniquely and separate from these, the Gnostic gospel, from the social gospel, and from the prosperity gospel. So be careful. And be wise. This is an important matter. And as we look at it in Romans chapter 8, uh, we're going to break it up into a few different perspectives. Whoops. This first perspective is a personal perspective. So how does it affect us personally? Well, here, here's what uh, Paul has to say in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to be revealed to us. In other words, that we we're going to suffer. And that suffering isn't even comparable to what is going to take place. This suffering is worth it. It's real, it's painful, it hurts. Paul is embracing all of those things. He is talking to a group of people who have been willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Some of them have, have been uh, fed to lions. Some of them will be, in the days to come after this is written, they will be burned alive to light Rome because of their faith. When he says, uh, when he talks about this suffering, he knows what he's talking about. And it's not just a light, hey, if your house becomes 75 degrees and you need to cool off, like that's not the suffering he's talking about. It's much deeper. And he's saying, why? Because there is this glory, there is this infinite value that we're going to experience to live in and to walk in ultimately. And we need to understand that, know that, and embrace it. It's a personal perspective for me and for you to embrace. But there's also this unique creation perspective. I love this, that this creation has a perspective. I've said this before, and I'll probably say it a million more times. I don't think we totally understand, fully can we grasp the reality of the destruction that occurred at the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3. Like the image of God was broken in some significant ways, but what that infected was everything. The entire creation infected because of Adam's sin. And we see that played out in the following passage. Here it says it this way. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. So it wasn't creation's fault, but because of him who subjected it, Adam in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There, there is even the world is groaning. It's anticipating something. It is looking towards the end. It recognizes that there is something coming that is of value, that is restorative, that is going to take this creation from the fall to the redemption, to the restoration, and even creation longs for this very thing. It's a good reminder for the rest of us. As we've said in the past, if we could identify time uniquely in hills and valleys, we could say that uniquely from where we stand on this hill in this time, we can see the end from here. How many hills and valleys are between here and the end? I'm not sure. But one thing I am sure is we can see the end from here. And it's coming. And as we look at the end from this vantage point from this particular hill, we can say that we anticipate something. There is some groaning that is occurring within creation, but also within us, and it brings us hope, which is the third perspective. There is a hope-filled perspective that we can and should embrace. I'm just going to read verses 23 through 25. It says this, 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit, meaning that the Spirit of God was given to us, letting us know there's more to come. You have the Spirit of God. You have something that is of God. This is divine. This is heavenly. This is the end. This is restorative. But there's more to come. And and Paul is letting us know that, hey, there is more to come. Yep, in the midst of my suffering, there... I know, I don't like it, but we've been given the Spirit of God, and there's something stirring in my soul, and I think I can see the end from here, and my soul is starting to stir, and I know that things better are coming, and I'm preparing for it, and whatever suffering is going to happen, okay, okay. And he identifies it this way, saying, uh, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. So there is something within us that groans because things are so broken. There is something within us that longs for what will be. The now and not yet of this groaning is stirring within us. The redemption of our bodies. Why? Because we are adopted as his children. Like We know that in the end, God is welcoming us into his very presence if we have received him as our Savior, if the Spirit of God dwells in us. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There is a redemption that is coming. That whatever suffering, whatever that spectrum is in your life, whatever that is, there is a hope that is ultimately fulfilled in the presence of God and the redemption not just, not just of uh, creation, but the redemption of our very bodies, the, resurrection bo- the resurrected bodies that we get. Everything is restored back to the way that it was supposed to be before the fall. So as we walk through this passage together, I want to walk through some questions. As we prepare for communion, it's important for us to just kind of walk through some questions. Let's, let's chew on these. Now, I've put this in second person, but I want to encourage you to put it in first person to make it personal to you. And uh, here are the questions. Are you experiencing any suffering in your life? If so, what is it? Maybe it's on the spectrum. Maybe it's, it's not that big of a deal, but it kind of is. But boy, it keeps you up at night. Okay, that, that counts. What is it? Maybe it's something uh, very deep and personal. Maybe you are being persecuted because of your faith. Maybe that has meant a loss of a job or a loss of relationships or loss of income. Maybe that's exactly what it means. Okay, what, what is it? Identify it. How might you offer that suffering to the Lord? It could just be identifying it. Lord, I recognize that this is a suffering that I have had, and I I just need to give it to you. And instead of me complaining about it, I'm going to receive it for what it is, and I'm offering it to you. Let this be a line in the sand that we draw to say, okay, this, this is yours, Lord, and I'm walking with you in this place of suffering that you would clear out any impurities in my life that the glory that I experience will be even more valuable because of the work you've done in this place of suffering. And maybe there's more. Let the Holy Spirit uh, guide you on that. Three, 
How might you fellowship with Christ in that suffering? Maybe in that place of recognizing this suffering, we also say, and yet, Lord, as I, as I deal with the suffering in my life, I also recognize. I also recognize that you went to the cross and you suffered intensely and completely and totally. And maybe there is a place in this suffering where we are able to fellowship with God uniquely. Does this suffering help you look forward to glory? Does this suffering help you look forward to glory? How so? Uh, I just want to share briefly as maybe you're chewing on that thought. Uh, Cindy and I, our, our 25th anniversary was a couple of years ago, and, and we were anticipating a trip, but COVID shut that down. Don't know if you've heard of COVID, but it was a thing. And, uh, and tough crowd, wow. Um, <laughs> and so we put it off a couple of years. Well, in putting it off a couple of years, we were anticipating this trip. We, we, went, we went on a cruise, never had done that before. I'll be honest, I just parked it under the soft serve machine and just stayed there for like a week. It was wonderful. Uh, but we anticipated it. We prepared for it. We went and bought things for it. Uh, we were excited about it. In the midst of cold Minnesota winters, we said, yeah, but you know what? We're going to be down in Cozumel and Belize and Roatan. This is going to be fun. Yep, yep, we can endure the, that cold just a little bit easier anticipating this vacation, this trip. Compared to what we're going to experience, friends, nothing. <laughs> it's not comparable. It's not even comparable. What we are going through now, it's not even comparable to what is about to happen in eternity. As the worship team comes out and we prepare our hearts for communion, uh, I want you to know a few things. One, Friendship Church practices what's called open communion, meaning you don't have to be a member of Friendship Church to participate in communion, but you do have to be a member of the church. What do I mean by that? I mean that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You are choosing to follow him in obedience day by day by day. If that is true, then the next part of our communion is this that we wrestle, uh, we wrestle with the Spirit and just pause before God to say, Lord, is there any unconfessed sin that I need to address? Is there any unconfessed sin? Holy Spirit, uh, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as I consider any unconfessed sin. And then to confess it. Uh, and it's not just to confess it, to say, okay, it's confessed, now I can go on. It's confession for the sake of repentance, I am no longer doing that, but I'm choosing to follow God instead. And then at that time, if you feel uh, so led, we want to encourage you. There are four stations within the room. You can come down the carpeted areas, go to the station nearest you, get both the bread and the cup, and then on the outer edge, return back to your seat. And then we'll sing, we'll worship, we'll continue in our worship together uh, through this next song, and at the end of the song, we'll participate together. With that in mind, would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you, and we thank you and praise you. We ask, oh Lord, that you would be glorified and honored in the things that we do and in the things that we say. We come before you, Lord, recognizing that there, there have been times when we have separated suffering from your glory. We've wanted desperately at times to 
walk in victory, to walk in healing, and have rejected at times the suffering that comes in those places. Lord, forgive us for that. We come together today even saying, Lord, as, as we walk through those places of suffering, would you in a very real way, in a very specific way, remove those impurities? Help us to have eyes to see it, ears to hear it, and a heart to understand it, to repent and to follow you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the cross. We thank you for sins forgiven. We thank you for the life that you have given us. And we recognize that following you is going to take us through suffering from time to time. And so here we are, Lord, asking that you would be glorified in it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.